Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from three different perspectives this week. I am Keith Foster, a managing partner of Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. I'm Tim Ardecki, co-writer, co-creator of the comic Superbud. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, welcome, Tim. It's good to have you. You know, we... Uh, this is a this is a podcast four years in the making, Tim. Awesome! Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. Keith no, and I go, go way back to uh, 2018, I believe. Yes, uh, Philly yes. Wizard World. Yes, we were we were a random placement next to each other, but it sort of didn't matter because something that you had done before the convention is reach out to me and mention that you were doing a making comics making indie comics panel at Wizard World and would I like to be on? So I was like, of course. So we went on there and we we did our panel too. I mean, what was it, Tim? Thousands of people? Thousands. I think people. thousands, yes. Definitely. Yeah. The, yeah. the biggest I mean, crowd was, they had. It was it was a riot. It was people were clamoring for our autograph. They were tearing at our clothes. It was crazy. It was dancing making, in the streets. Yeah. Yeah. It was like exactly. the Beatles were playing. Yeah. It, it was like it was like Toby McGuire just walked out. That's how crazy people were acting. Um, Spider-Man three, where he's dancing. Uh, yeah, or that one, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah. ever see that video where a kid does his move like thing for thing? It's pretty funny. Yeah. No. Yeah. So like some that. dad taught his kid the dance move, basically the entire Tobey Maguire dance, which is awesome. The um, most recent one is the Morbius or Mobius. Uh, Morbius. Uh, Morbius. The whatever the newest one is. Yeah. And uh, so I guess Matt Smith does some crazy dance in it. And uh, someone spliced together the Tobey Maguire dance with that dance. So it's kind of nice. Fun. Nice. Awesome. Nice. So, uh, well, let's get down to our first bit of business. Uh, what are you drinking, Scott? Um, okay. So I am having a hard seltzer, but it's not just any hard seltzer. It's a belching beaver, passion fruit, and guava. So belching beaver is uh, tapping into the hard seltzer game. So I'm pretty interested in this. Um, it's pretty toasty down here in San Diego. It's been warm all week. So it felt appropriate to go with the seltzer. Seltzers are really nice on hot days. So uh, I didn't think I can go wrong with this. So I'm curious what it tastes like. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I'm a massive Belching Beaver fan. So that's incredible. Um, I will I will go next and I will mention. So I'm, I'm keeping it real light, although I am staying in the San Diego area. And I am going with the Stone Buena Vesa. This is one of my favorite lagers. It is a uh, lager with a little bit of salt and lime in it. Um, it is fantastic, and I am keeping it light because I have the COVID. So, uh, so yeah, my my positive test. I got it was kind of ominous. I got one of those ones um, where where it's like it's like a bad, you know, you plug it in and it looks like a computer mouse, and you just put it in. And you know how like unusual COVID tests, you can cheat. You can be like, how's that line looking? Like the control line looks good, but how's the test line looking here? You just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and wait for a light and then a light flickers and it was like positive i was like son of a bitch oh, man. <laughs> now tim that that doesn't come as a surprise to me because uh it, it went through my entire house so okay. within so what happened what we think happened is that one of my kids went to a 21st birthday party on late friday night and then started feeling bad on sunday evening and then after that it rippled through the house kid number one sunday evening uh wife monday evening uh kid number two tuesday evening i think and then the final two of us uh this morning we we split the pot and squid game so it was pretty exciting uh i i did make the final round and and uh i, I technically won because my other Your kids test came back it came back positive like 15 seconds before mine did so i like to think that you know i got the 560 million dollars or whatever it was yeah well Sorry to hear that. It seems like you're doing okay. You don't seem like you're you're down too bad. So hopefully it doesn't treat you any uh, worse than what you're you're looking like right now. You seem like you're in pretty good uh, spirits and pretty good health right now. For now, I mean, here's hoping like I don't just fall asleep and pass out, and uh, and that you guys still record, and then I have to edit myself awkwardly for about the final forty minutes of the podcast. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, it um, only depends if you snore or not. <laughs> <laughs> I will be nice enough to mute myself on the Zoom, and then that way we won't have to worry about it. It's nice. <laughs> Uh, Tim, are you drinking anything, man? Yeah. So I got this. Um, it's Nugget Nectar. It's local here in Pennsylvania. Um, it's from Hershey, Pennsylvania. So not too close to where I'm at in Philadelphia, but a really good beer. Uh, it's, it's only sold seasonally. So it's um, a late spring beer. And um, I just got that. Uh, I've got two left in the fridge. So this is this one. And then I've got one more after that. What uh, kind of so. beer is it, Tim? 
it's like an amber ale, but they hop it. So it's um, like fresh hops added to it. They only get that um, local once a year. So they add that in and it's a, it's a seasonal beer. So really enjoy it. It's uh, it's malty. It's got a little bit of that hop thing, but it's not too like overbearing with the hops. Nice, man. So well, yeah, really very cool. All right. We're all, we're all repping here. So uh, with that, Scott, uh, what was the, what was the thing you did this week? Oh man. Wingspan, wingspan, wingspan again. <laughs> it's uh, all zip tones all day long, all day, every day. So I'm just hitting a nice groove. I'm actually starting to do one and a half pages a day. So it's moving a lot, a lot faster. Uh, I think everything looks a lot cleaner, honestly. Um, I just have the system down. And the messed up thing is I don't work on Wanderers that often. So by the next time I work on it again, I will forget how I did this. So <laughs> good thing we have audio documentation on how I do this. And so I'll just have to listen back to the podcast and go, oh, yeah, that's how I did it. So um, I got about four and a half pages left. And then it's off to lettering and, well, working on the script with Ed and uh, lettering at the same time. That's funny. I, I can just envision looking at our podcast stats down the road. And I'm like, wow, this one episode of ours had a ton of listens, Scott. It was like, oh, yeah, that was just me going back and listening to myself, remembering how to do zip the tone. Yeah, pretty much, man. That's that's how it goes sometimes. OK, uh, so that was that it. Was there more to it or so you just grind? I mean, there's that? a lot to it and it takes a long time, Keith. But, yeah, I guess that's the <laughs> that's all there is for <laughs> this part of the section for me. Well, I mean, that's but that's the irony of it, too. Sometimes the things that take the most work are the things that you just talk you like you do this shit ton of work and then you're like and i did that thing yeah and, this, and that's is, it. Uh, this this comes out two weeks after we record this right uh roughly uh-huh okay all right so then my uh, kickstarter is done yeah so it's uh you know successfully funded that that happened the first day basically i think the first two hours of the release but hey the more people that pick up the book the better because that means more people are reading the book and that's what's important yeah man yeah, I mean, for, for my thing, uh, it was it was a lot of little things this week. You know, um, my Kickstarter ended earlier this week, so I'm happy it funded. You know, it funded at a nice amount. I'm, I'm very pleased. And um, now it's just a matter of, of producing the stuff. So, again, I'm kind of jamming a whole bunch of things into one. Scott, did you have something else you wanted to talk about at the end, or are you good with me just going like this? No, I'm good. Okay. Go for it. Because you're just zip toning out the wazoo, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I get to do all day, every day. So. Oh, man, I know. That's kind of crazy. Where where I'm in that spot where it's just a hundred little things, maybe not a hundred, but a fair amount of little things. So uh, Kickstarter admin was a big thing. Kickstarter promo was a thing, which I know you were doing too, Scott. Um, what else? I, I've been trying to get artists, which is something, you know, I you, Tim can relate to. Tim writes. Tim actually co-writes. And uh, finding artists takes effort. So it's just going out, trying to find people that it's kind of like, you know, the irony is that apps like Match.com and stuff like that make it easier to find a, a mate. And yet the apps don't really exist for finding a good artistic mate. <laughs> you know, like that's that's old school. It, finding an artistic mate is very much like going to a bar in like 1989. You know what I mean? It's just it's old world and you have to be like, Hey, you, you looking to do work, yeah, you know, you hope, like you hope the pretty girl says yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would, would you like to do work with me? I write things, you would know, you that like to come back to my room and read my script. <laughs> I just wouldn't say, would you like to do work in a bar in the eighties? That might bring the wrong kind of uh, crowd to your, <laughs> to your deal. Or the right kind of crowd or the right, you're right. <laughs> or, or so, so right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it, it was a lot of that. Um, just trying to find some artists and, and getting some leads. I did finally get an update from the Kadoja artist for issue two. So it turns out that he does multiple projects at once. And I, you look, I could have been upset, but it's fine. You know, like something that we're trying to stick to that I'm trying to stick to with Kickstarters is solicit the Kickstarter, get ready to do the Kickstarter, deliver the Kickstarter and then gather steam to do the next one instead of having any overlap, you know, because three protectors and Kadoja are two different properties. I did have a little bit of overlap. I'm actually putting the finishing touches on mailing out packages right now for three protectors, but the Kadoja Kickstarter is over and I'd like to space that out a little bit more. So all this will work because I'll have the finished pages probably by the end of the year, something like that for, for issue two. And then I can, you know, plan the Kickstarter accordingly. 
Um, and then the final thing is it was actually fun. Scott, I got to be a little bit of an artist because I did the comic page that I'm supposed to do for the making comics tier. Uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. I will send it to you uh, later on when we're done. But uh, you, you know the one I'm talking about. And uh, I laid everything out. And because it's so simple, what I found is, because basically, without giving it away, although astute listeners probably know exactly what it is, without giving it away, what you have is two people that are just static images. And so, yeah, so what I could have done is just have three panels of basically the exact same image. But guess what? That's visually boring. You don't want that because repetition is not what I'm going for. It's the kind of thing that you would do if repetition was the point, but that's not what I want. So what I ended up doing was the top panel is a wider shot of both of them. And then instead of having a middle panel of silence, I actually went person on the left kind of cut on one side, person on the right cut on another side. And then I did a kind of closer up thing of the person on the right who is doing the talking the whole time for the final big panel. Um, so anyway, it was, it was fun, you know, and, and it, it was a little bit of like all the reading on paying, uh, making comics and listening to you, Scott, and just the learnings we get. I think a lot of that, it came together because you just put it down and immediately your intuition tells you this is visually boring. This is lame. I got to do something better than this. And then you make your way to something better. And you realize that those little touches you put in, zooming the camera out, breaking up the panels, zooming it in, whatever, um, in fact, creates something that's that's somewhat visually interesting, given uh, my limited artistic skill. Yeah, as soon as you said how you laid it out, I was like, yeah, that's probably how I laid out as well. So and that also reminds me that I have to work on the interior page um, for the making comics tier. So as soon as I finish the zip of tones, like I'll, I'll bang that out. And um, I was hoping to have a traditional version of it. It's just not going to happen. I'm like, there's mm. just not enough time in the day. So, um, but yeah, so I'll just work it out digitally and, and knock it out and I'll send it your way. No problem. You know, you got, you got a lot of stuff coming up. You got the tight timeline to get the zip of tone, zip of tone, zip of tones done. And then you've got um, Comic-Con and you got all kinds of stuff. So if you can fit it in, great. If not, you know, we can work something. Uh, so Tim, how about you, man? What what was your thing you did this week? Or yeah, well, I've got two things that I, I should cram into one. Really, I uh, should have been focused on editing our new series. Uh, my cre uh, co-creator, uh, Mike, and I have been working on this new series for our, uh, most of 2021. And we put it on hold for a little bit while we were running our Kickstarter. Uh, so we finally got through all of the fulfillment, which you guys know is can be a chore. Um, so once that was done, the last couple of months, we've been working on uh, like what I'd say is like our third draft. Um, so we're just finishing that up. Our goal was to get that done by the end of the month of June and send it off to an editor to review and hopefully get us good notes. Um, but I, I was procrastinating on that a bit because uh, last week I got a new idea for a new project. Um, and it's it's it was originally a short story. Uh, now it's going to turn into a one shot. Uh, and I just had to write it. Um, I kind of felt the itch to get something new done uh, working on older projects and going through rewrites for a while. So I was like, had the creative surge there and was like, I got to get something done here. So put the the edits on hold for a bit. Uh, luckily, Mike did get some work done on that. So he sent that over to me and I was able to go through and give him notes on the edits he did, um, which was a good way we kind of worked together. So if I'm not feeling it in the moment, he can jump in and uh, t take over and I can go through and it gives me a fresh perspective to come in and see what he's done on it and just kind of add add layers onto it or go, okay, I like this, but this might not have worked as well. Or I, I was actually thinking about going through this for issue five, so that would change an issue too. Uh, and it just helped uh, to get me motivated in that situation. Okay, so I have a couple of questions about that. But one is this idea that you dusted off. What what was the, what got you to dusting that off? What, what was it about that idea that made you want to dust it off? Um, how did that part come to fruition? You know, I know, Hey, look, I'm the king of being secretive. So you don't have to say anything more about what it is or anything, but like, what was the, you know, what was, what was the story behind that happening? Of the, the longer series? Uh, no, you said there was a one shot. Oh, the one shot. Yeah. So the yeah. one shot just came to me. Um, like while we were going through, um, a lot of the production for Kickstarter and the fulfillment, I really was like, okay, I'm focused on editing this new series and getting rewrites done on it. That's going to be coming out hopefully uh, next year. And wasn't really thinking creatively. It gave my, my brain a break uh, to not think creatively uh, and just focus on doing all of the production stuff, the fulfillment of the Kickstarter and, and the edits. 
Um, and in that, that kind of process, I suddenly like freed my brain to, to think free freely. And it wasn't something that was being forced. It just kind of naturally came to me. Um, and I've, I've been focused on trying to come up with shorts and just writing them down. And when I have time in between projects, just going and doing a short, uh, comic, a lot of comic creators suggest doing shorts, which is something like we always jumped into a, a longer series, which, uh, if anybody's listening, it's your first project. I would suggest trying to do a short comic first, um, something that's only a few pages, um, you could really test the waters that way. You can figure out uh, your creative energy or like the partnership with an artist. Um, and it just helps you to see things through the entire process to go from pre-production, the scripting, um, drawing all the, the different parts of the art. So from your, your sequentials to, you know, pencils, inks, lettering, coloring, all of that. Um, and then going through the printing process. Uh, so it really is helpful um, in that sense. So I've been thinking, okay, I should do more shorts. Uh, and I had a couple ideas for, for shorts that I've worked on already. Uh, and this idea has popped in and usually we, we table an idea. We'll, we'll think about it. We'll come back to it and go, okay, once we have uh, room in our production schedule, we'll come back to it and actually write it. Uh, so I just put everything on pause and like, I'm going to just jump right into it. Um, so it just kind of, it just jumped into my head. Cool. Um, yeah. I, I do the same thing. I have like a bunch of I have a file on my phone, just like in my notes section. And it's just random ideas that pop into my head. And it's cool because I've had this project that I'm going to be working on more than likely at the beginning of next year. And I just have random ideas for it that pop into my brain and I stick them into that note. And it's interesting because I came across a note from five years ago. I was like, oh, when I use this character again, or these characters, I'm going to do this with them. And I think this is a good scene. And since I had come upon it, I was like, this actually works with the new story that I'm doing. So it's fun when you get the time to work on those projects, especially if you get like a hint of an idea. And like, it's cool when it comes about un unexpectedly, like you said, with this, you're just like something came to you, you know, you just had this thought and you had to, you know, go, go for it. And like, I think those are some of the more, more fun projects to do because you're in the moment, you're thinking about it and it's grabbed your attention for whatever reason. And so uh, hearing you talk about that, it makes me excited for the next project that I'm going to do. It's just, it sucks because I have so many lined up beforehand and there's just not enough time in the day to do them all like as fast as I would like to. Um, but yeah, the excitement for those projects. It's always so fun when you, when you just get that hint in your brain, that's something that just kicks it into the forefront and you're like, okay, yeah, I got to do this. This is a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so Tim, you said you had a second thing as well, right? Oh yeah. Well, so the, the second thing was just editing that um, the, the comic that should have been my focus uh, going through and doing rewrites on this other project that that's um, something we've been working on for most of 2021 and uh, put on pause for our Kickstarter for a little bit in 2022, but now we're back on, on, on schedule for that. Yeah. And then just to, to name those projects a little bit, right. I'm assuming that the Kickstarter that you're talking about was Superbud three, right? Yes. Right. Yes, we so we kick yeah, late, kick late congratulations on that. But yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. We, so we kickstarted issue three for Superbud. Um, so we will be doing uh Superbud issue four and then a Superbud issue five. Um, and then we'll be launching a new series. Um, hoping for you know the end of this year, maybe for the first issue, but it, it, not certainly by 2023 for uh a next series called Great Brigade, which is something uh it's been long in in uh upcoming he's holding up his copy right now yeah uh, so we did yeah. an ashcan back in 2018 uh just to kind of test the idea um and get it out into some hands uh see what people thought uh there's a really great response around it um and then it was just a matter of, of getting time to to write it and get it all out there um so luckily um you know one of the, you know unfortunately with everybody's going through COVID, but one of the the nice things that came through uh was just getting a lot of time to work on projects um and then um i just sort of building up, uh, trying to get into a, a routine with writing, um, much like you guys talk about. I think you guys are really great at it. You guys work steadily all the time. Every week you have something new to talk about. Um, that's really motivating. Uh, so try to keep up with, with you guys in a way um, to do a, a schedule where I'm, I'm writing at least four or five days a week. Um, so that was my, my idea going from uh, COVID was, re was really easy when I was uh, you know not working as much at that time and then going, okay, how do I balance that work? With, with family life and then writing. Uh, so squeezing in that time. So uh, all of 2021, I worked on this project. We wrote all five issues at once, uh, which was an easier 
process than writing one issue at a time. So that way we can kind of see the big picture. We can plan it out with a three act structure, get all the character development in all those things. Uh, so we're really happy with what we've got now, just uh, waiting on some, some notes. We're going to send it to the editor at the end of the month. And uh, if things look well, look like they're, they're going well, uh, which we expect them to, we'll be sending them to the artist and uh, getting that uh, the art going. That's awesome. That's awesome. How do you balance that time? You talked about balancing the time, but what is your way of balancing time? Yeah, uh, th that's that's the hardest thing. It's been uh, the toughest thing for me to figure out for a while. Um, I think with when COVID hit, I suddenly had all this free time that I did not expect. Uh, especially, you know, we were we were all stuck at home. We weren't seeing friends and family as much. Um, I, I had two weeks off of work at one point, which was like, you know, as the world's collapsing and all these the horrible thoughts that are running through your brain, I go, okay, well, I've got this time that I've always wanted here. Let me start working. And uh, I learned a letter at that time. So we, we lettered issue three during, during that first two weeks of COVID. Uh, I just started going, okay, I'm going to dedicate all this time to, to writing now. Um, it did help kind of get my mind off the news and, and not focus on the doom and gloom of what was going on out there. Um, and then as we transition back to, to regular life, go, okay, how do I keep that going? Uh, so for me, it's, it's finding time when the rest of my family is asleep. So mm. a lot of times, you know, that 10 to 12, 10 PM to 12 AM is when I'm working, uh, you know, trying to squeeze it in or, or maybe an hour or so before work, but typically I'm, I'm a night owl. So I, I squeeze it in at night when I get the house to myself, uh, and just try to stay motivated, um, doing little by little, uh, instead of trying to always think of the big picture to go, okay, just one page at a time sort of thing. Uh, that seems to, to get me there. Yeah. It's the same with me. I'm definitely a night owl. I'm more productive at night. Um, I'm, I'm finding that since my life's a little bit busier these days that I do have to squeeze in more work during the day where I'm more inclined to lollygag, check out my phone, be on YouTube, uh, things like that. Um, I'm still on YouTube while I'm drawing, uh, but it's, it's like, okay, those little things that you can cut out. I mean, I remember when it was just me and my dog, I was, my phone would go, oh, you've, your phone time has gone up. You've been on your phone seven hours, like a day. And it's just like, that's insane. Like, why am I, on? and I'm like, okay, well, some of that's YouTube time, you know, like that's not <laughs> like the phone's on, but I'm drawing, you know, type thing. And I'm like trying to justify it in my brain. Now that I'm more busy, um, my phone averages about four hours. So like I'm on my phone about four hours and that includes like, uh, everything, you know, like YouTube time and all of that, uh, posting for, you know, Kickstarters, just social media, keeping engaged. Um, but I also found at the beginning of COVID that's when I was the most productive because same thing, like you said, you have all this time that you've wanted out of nowhere. You actually have it now. The thing that you've been wanting the most, you actually have it. So I was able to do Wanderers 2 in a matter of three months. That was from start to finish everything. I drew the whole issue. I zip toned it. I lettered it. I had it done and off to the printers. So um, that was the most productive time in my life. But like anything, the more time you have, the more time you have to bullshit. And like, unfortunately, I still find that to be my issue. Like, I do have a lot more time these days to work on the books and, um, you know, between that and the freelance work, I do have more time, but it's like, well, my deadline is this. So, you know, if you, if you give someone a deadline, they're going to finish more than likely, they're going to finish it by the end of that deadline. Like that's the time. If you, if you give someone a day to do something, they'll finish in a day. But if you give them a week, they're going to finish in a week, even though it could have took them a day. So, um, you know, it's all about trying to not do that and stay focused and, you know, stay on top of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something that, that really helped me was having the app tell you how much time you're spending on social media. Uh, and it'll it'll compare it to the previous week or, or you know, just spending on your phone in general. Uh, so cutting that out was was a big part of it for me. It was a focus um, So kind of go back to answering Keith's question originally. Uh, so that's a big part of it. And, you know, it's, it is part of the job of being an indie creator, you know, I think we all have to spend time on social media, right, to get the buzz out, especially you guys promoting your Kickstarters, you know, we went through the same thing a few months ago. Um, so it is part of, of the world that we, we of an indie creator, what we do, um, but trying to limit it to just that. Um, so is this benefiting my career doing this or am I just wasting time? Um, so that's a big part of it for me. And then, you know, I, I love a lot of good TV shows and movies and stuff that are out there, but I've honestly cut out a lot of that in the last couple of months too. I'm just really dedicating that time that I do have that, which is limited to just making sure that I'm progressing as, as the writer. Yeah. It's pretty crazy because 
today was uh, day one. You know, I just had the positive test, the COVID test today. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I took a walk. I, I did some stuff. Um, but then I was like, I can just I can just work on like a comic and listen to music, you know, and then I did. And I, I actually went through I, I'm not kidding. I probably threw six albums on the turntable today. I, I'm lucky to put on one every two days in the flow of a normal day. And then I was like, I can read some comics now. And I read a stack like that of comics. It was just crazy. So it, it is uh, it is kind of weird to. to... <laughs> so there you go. Go get COVID, Tim. Then, then you can then you can catch up on all those things. <laughs> yeah, there's there's the one benefit of uh, having COVID there. Right? As long as uh, as long as I just stay here and it's nothing more than like slight nasal congestion and a headache and you know a little bit of a congestion in the chest. Yes, you know if it gets any worse, then the the seesaw kind of kind of dips a little bit there. But um, so I, there was oh and and the other thing too I don't know if we talked about it a lot I keep on holding this comic up and Scott what I'll do if you if you if you're interested I can just take photos it's an ash can um, of this and send it to you because this was an ash can they did when you know when we were tabling next to each other in 2018 Grave Brigade it's uh yeah man I read this story and I was I think I was one of the people Tim where I was like this is super cool man I, I'd like to see more of this like immediately and and by immediately I mean in 2022 <laughs> after a global pandemic that that was the the definition of immediately um but yeah so it, it's very cool you know I brought this along just in case you were going to talk about it and it sounds like you and uh, you and Mike have been working on it a lot and that you're ready to kind of go out to an editor with it, which is, uh, yes. which is cool to hear. Yeah, thanks so much for saying that. Uh, we really appreciate that. Yeah, we're excited about it. Uh, we're going to get it out there. And Scott, I'll definitely send it to you uh, when we get off here. Oh, right I love oh, that, cool. that ash, ash can. Um, yeah, so we made a lot of changes to it. Um, I rewrote it. Um, interesting thing about it was we originally wrote it with like a three-act structure. And while all those notes are still there, um, just kind of hung up on it. Um, we're having a little bit of writer's block on actually writing it. Uh, we felt really good with what we had for the Ashcan and the Ashcan really leads right into the first full issue. But then going from issues two, three, four, and five, we knew how it ended in five. We were kind of struggling with uh, how to get there. And we had notes. Uh, we had a really good one-page summary. We had notes in an outline for each issue. Um, but it was only like one or two sentences. And when I go, okay, how do I actually make that happen in 22 pages or 24 pages? Um, and the breakthrough I had was, each issue is sort of a one shot in a way. Um, each one will focus on a, a different sort of villain. Um, the, the whole premise uh, is uh, soldiers in World War II fighting monsters. They're off the book soldiers. It's like a, a secret organization. Uh, they're, they're former soldiers, but they're running on this secret mission. Uh, it's kind of run by a, a senator and a uh, general, uh, but it's under uh, off the radar under, under the books sort of thing. And uh, they're monster hunters in World War II. Uh, so we gave them a new monster to, to fight in each issue and a new location. Uh, so in a way, it makes it a little bit more pulpy. It's like an action adventure. It kind of keeps the pace going. Uh, well, we can still keep that same three-act structure and the through line going through it. Uh, it gives each issue its own flavor. I feel like that'll help us with getting the covers going so each one can have a different look and distinction. Uh, it'll help with, um, you know, giving it each individual flavor. So uh, when you see it on the shelves or at a Kickstarter, it feels different than the last one that you saw. So it's not just here's issue four, here's issue five. It's, oh, this has got something new to it. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, I, I liked what I saw of this. It's cool to hear. It's kind of wild because I remember when I read this, I liked it. And only a couple weeks ago, for the first time I saw the film *Inglorious Bastards. And this reminded me of that. It, it did have the, you know, you, you mentioned like the, the secret platoon, um, even in, in a, in a short period of time, you get flavor for each of the characters, um, the, in, in the grave brigade. And, uh, and you're kind of off and running with a, with a pretty cool, uh, I don't know, cliffhanger or like ominous thing that happens at the end of the ash can. So um, so yeah, man, that's again, it's, it's cool. It's cool to see uh, that it's, it's cranking along. Awesome. Yeah. yeah thanks. Yeah. That was a, definitely a big influence. Um, there's an older movie in the seventies called D the dirty dozen. Uh, it was one that was always on, on TV on like that Sunday morning. So that was a big influence as well. Uh, and it's funny, like after we had already gotten years into working on it, um, I started doing more research and looking at old covers 
and I found a bunch of older comics about it. So there's like C- Combat Kelly and there's weird war stories. And a lot of them have the same sort of archetypes for the, the characters, like the gruff leader, uh, the certain different archetypes in, in the, the platoon. Um, so we kind of hit on all of that accidentally, uh, but it's nice to know that there's uh, a reference point for it, uh, a little bit of an homage to, to people that maybe have re- read those older books. Yeah, those were all the rave back in the day. Like there was so many of them. There was um, before the the reign of the superheroes, it was all war comics. It was just like there was war comics and there was romance comics. Then there was horror and then there was superheroes. Um, so, yeah, uh, going back to the movie comparison thing, like when you were describing it, um, I was thinking, oh, kind of like in the vein of Hellboy in a way. And then so it's kind of like a Inglorious Bastards meets Hellboy. And um, I actually got to read Superbud number one. And that was kind of like uh, a Kevin Smith movie meets Tropic, or not Tropic, uh, Pineapple Express. You know, so that's, that's, you that's, say that's, that. yeah. that's what I <laughs> yeah. got out of the first episode, uh, issue. I, yeah, sure. I, I also got a big Kevin Smith vibe out of it. So I'm, I'm assuming that he was a, he was a pretty decent influence in that. Yeah. Those those two absolutely were the influences. It took us maybe like a year into pitching it uh, to kind of unlock that, Oh, it's like Pineapple Express, but with superpowers. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a little bit of that Kevin Smith influence. And uh, all those movies were the rage, the Seth Rogen, Judd Apatow movies were the rage at the time we came out with that. Um, so that was kind of like, oh, this is the next logical step for them. Um, I had a couple of things that I wrote down just while you were talking and or, or kind of also some things that uh, I'd wanted to ask you about, which is, you know, you co-write, you co-write with with Tim, uh, Mike Dean. Um what what's that like? What's the process like in terms of you guys going back and forth and and doing the collaboration style of writing? Yeah, it's interesting and it's it's evolved to be honest. Uh, Mike and I met in college. We were both um, filmmakers. We were writers and directors, um, and we started writing together just on the side as a sort of a fun thing. While we were very serious in our filmmaking, uh, we, we were trying to do a lot of those kind of indie movies that were coming out in the early aughts. Um, you know, even from like, you mentioned Kevin Smith in the nineties, there's Jim Jarmusch and Wes Anderson, those guys. And then the early two thousands, there was a lot of like Fox searchlight movies going on. Uh, so I think we were trying to do those kind of dramedies. Um, but we met doing sketch comedy. Uh, we, we formed a sketch comedy group. We both just kind of naturally took over the group as the head writers. Um, a lot of the other people loved performing. They weren't as good at sitting at their computer and writing the, the ideas down. Uh, so that's how we started writing together. Um, and then out of college, we did a pilot. Uh, we wrote a pilot script. And that was sort of our focus was writing on TV. Uh, we did a web series after that. Uh, we were really in, in the, the weeds doing TV. Uh, we were both huge comic fans. We, we loved comics from the time we were kids. In fact, it was one of the things that we bonded over right when we first met. Um, we went to school in a really small town with didn't really have a whole lot going on. And the closest comic shop was about 35 minutes away. Uh, and I found out that uh, Mike and his roommate were driving there weekly. We talked about comics they were like, Oh, do you want to come with us? And it just kind of became the every Wednesday trip after class, we would go get comics. So we were both in the comic world, love comics, but it just never crossed our mind really to, to be a reality, to, to make comics. Um, you know, Marvel and DC seemed like they had their gatekeepers up, so to speak. It was really hard to break in. Um, and then with there was sort of that second wave of image comics, I think like post Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman kind of opened the gates and uh, the image comics stopped being like the anti-hero spawn like, you know, stories to, to being these really interesting, diverse stories that were not necessarily superheroes or the anti-hero. Um, and that kind of opened the gates and opened our perspective to say, OK, I think we could do this. Um, so it was just an idea of when we finally have the right idea that's not going to work for TV, that's not going to work for film, that's really going to be aimed at the comic audience, we'll, we'll jump into comics. Uh, and that became Superbud. Yeah, that's that's what's great about creating comics right now. It's just there's so many different avenues to publish your own stories, get your books printed yourself. You know, if, if a publishing house isn't willing to take a risk on your book, you could just do it yourself. You put it out into the world and then if you get a strong enough fan base, then someone might pick it up and then that's your way to succeed. Or you just like what you're doing and you just keep doing it and uh, make a good living like that, doing it on the side. Yeah, absolutely. And even in the few years that we've been doing it, we've seen that um, opportunity grow. Uh, like we launched our first Kickstarter in 2014 and it was new to us. We weren't really all that familiar with it. Um, and just seeing it grow to 
uh, this is a reality now and it's it's a viable option for for indie creators and it's great you can come out and release your first book all on your own uh, you know, 100% of the work is yours, but then 100% of that, that profit is yours as well. Um, and you can really hold it up and say, this is what I did by myself without anybody else or with your team, if you work with a team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Totally. Totally. Okay. So that was, uh, that was cool. Um, it looks like, I think we can go to our main topic, if you want to call it that, which were, there were kind of two things that Tim had thrown out to us and, uh, and we wanted to talk about them both. So, Tim, why don't we let you lead with this first one you wanted to talk about, which was a comics versus other media. Say whatever you want, and then we'll just rhyme off the dome with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you had asked, you know, what were some things that we struggled with? Uh, we, like I said earlier, we had the idea for Superbud. We realized it was going to be a comic. We just jumped in without really knowing what we were doing. Um, you know, the naivete on our part was we had been writing at that point probably for seven, eight years. Uh, we felt pretty confident being writers. Um, we'd come off writing a few different series at that point. Uh, we had just done a web series. So we felt really confident in our writing. Um, but we did not know anything about writing comics. It's not the same as writing for uh, film or writing for TV at all. Uh, so we had to kind of learn from the ground up. Um, so just, you know, getting books and we really just started doing it first. Um, luckily we had hooked up with a really great artist, Tim Laddie, uh, who's been on the project since uh, that, that first issue. Uh, and he really, really did teach us a lot as we were going. He loved the project, loved the script. Uh, but he sent us notes back on the first one, like, hey, you guys have to break this down by panel because uh, we were just doing scenes for him and just assumed mm. he knew what the, that meant. Uh, so we went in and we, we broke it down by panel. Uh, luckily, he he was an amazing uh, storyteller in his own right. He uh, he writes, he draws. Uh, so he knew what we were trying to do and he, he made it engaging and interesting. Um, but when I go back and reread that first script, we really didn't know how to direct uh, the artist in a way. So we were going, okay, there's a close-up, here's your wide shot, here's your medium. We weren't providing any other detail to him. Um, so if you read that first issue, there are three pages, maybe four pages of characters just sitting on a couch talking, uh, which is not the most visually engaging. Uh, I promise you, it's not in issues two or three or in, in the future Grey Brigade. Uh, we've really learned to, to transition to a better storyteller sequentially. Uh, so that was the biggest issue for us. Uh, we had to kind of start from scratch with our writing to learn to write for the visual medium. So really thinking about the visuals first was the biggest thing. And we started working on Grey Brigade years ago, and that was the first time where we really noticed how to how to write and write for the, the visual itself. So when we first wrote that script, we actually kept all the dialogue to a minimum. So naturally, I think we fall into this, especially coming from like a sitcom kind of attitude, writing dialogue first and letting that lead the storytelling. So what we did with Grey Brigade was we, we really stripped down all the dialogue uh, and just focused on just the images. So the first outline of that script was just what was what would be seen by the, the audience, what they would see. And then we would filter in key dialogue and then continue to refine the images and then add in the full dialogue afterwards. So by the end, we had a full script, but kind of reverse engineering it. It's sort of the way that they would write for live TV. Uh, your script is a little different. You split it down the, the middle and there's images on the left and your, your dialogue is on the right. Uh, so we kind of took that attitude of really leaning into the, the visuals of it. And that was the, the unlock for me. It made all the difference in everything we've written since. It's interesting because it's almost like the imagined Marvel method. You imagined the, the the visuals and like, let's get the visuals, visuals, visuals. And then once those were set in your brain, then came the, the words, the dialogue, all that stuff. Yeah, That's exactly so, yeah. how I do it. Yeah. Like when I'm when I'm doing these stories, when I'm doing the, the Marvel method version of it, where it's like I have an idea for the story and I'm going to run with it. And then later on, I'm going to consult Ed. I'm going to let him know, okay, this is what's going on. So the, the exact way that you guys described how you did it, that's actually how I do it as the artist. It's So for me, it's all visual first, and um, I'll fill the dialogue in later. So, you know, like the second shift, the Drawtober issues, th that's all those were. It was just like, oh, it's just I need to visually tell this story to whoever's looking at it on my social media because there is going to be no dialogue. So just picture by picture, they need to understand what's going on. And then after the fact, that's when I can throw the rest of it in. So it's, it's kind of a, it's, for me, it's a really fun method to do things. And um, kind of like, even to send it to Ed, like just to send him my script as to what was going on in the story. And like, he had no clue, like this, the script he gave me was just so different than what I gave him. 
you know, it was, it was cool getting his notes back. You know, it was just like, Hey, um, you know, this, this line of dialogue is really good. Like this is actually pretty solid. And, and like, you know, just being, you know, the drawing monkey hearing, like I did something good and he threw me a banana. I was like, so happy. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice to hear that, uh, writers are actually using that method as well. Yeah. yeah it is interesting. It sounded like the one thing that your biggest mistake was you didn't do panel direction at all. It was just a screenplay. And then the artist kind of course corrected you, which uh, is sort of uh, a little bit similar to uh, how did Ed write the first script again, Scott? Yeah, was- that's exactly it. Um, yeah. So Ed wrote kind of like prose status, like in a way. It was just like he was describing scenes like he was writing a book and I could visualize it. I could see everything he was writing. And we did that for the first three or four issues or something like that. Maybe more. No, no. The first five issues were, was all that style. And you know, at least your artist knew what he was doing. He goes, Hey, you got to break this down. I didn't know what I was doing either as the artist. So, and actually this goes back to something you had said earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Do a one, uh, one shot story or a, a short story first, because we also made the same mistake. Like our first comic was a five part story arc. So by issue three and four, I was burning out. I was just like, I want to draw someone else. <laughs> like I'm drawing the same villain for five issues. This is, this is maddening. Um, but you know, you have to get, you know, those hours under your belt and get, you know, work on your 10,000 hours. And unfortunately your first, you know, 500 hours is, it's not that you don't want to do the same story in your first 500. So, um, <laughs> definitely a learning lesson. Were there any other big learnings out of that first issue, Tim, other than, you know, that your format was there, were there any other big differences that you saw in between movies and TV versus comics that uh, kind of came to the fore in the process of that first issue? Yeah. You know, the biggest thing that, that we learned, um, and there's a few things that we took from Superbud that we brought into our next project. Just, we, we didn't understand the marketplace at all. So I think we had gone to a panel and, um, you know, I think it was Jim Zub, who we, we really love. He's got really great resources on his website, by the way, if anybody's learning, uh, check check his website out. We had heard a panel with him and he talked about Image Comics is really only interested in limited series. So if you're trying to pitch to somebody like that, keep your, your story limited. So we we're like, okay, it's not going to be an ongoing, like, you know, we were reading Walking Dead and Invincible and those kind of books. So we'll, we'll do this. And we originally outlined a 36 issue limited series. So 36 issues is not limited at all. Right. <laughs> uh, so that was our, our first mistake. So just going back to, to issue one, reading it, the pacing is just so much slower and you guys, you guys read it. So really the, the inciting incident happens on the very last page of issue one, not to, to spoil it, but it's been out since 2014. So there you go. <laughs> Spoiler out there. There's definitely a statute uh, of limitations on spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> so it, the, the, the character gets his powers on the, the last page. So that was a, a note we had gotten from people when we first got issue one out there was, you know, I love it, but I, I, I'd like more. It, you know, I, it left me hanging there. Issues two and three ramp up the pace much faster than that. And four and five are even faster than that. Um, so that's just us correcting course as we went. Uh, we did rewrites after rewrites after rewrites. Really, every time we finished an issue, we would rewrite the next, you know, the next four, the next three, the next two. So that's kind of how we've gone. So that was the biggest thing. Um, so my notes going into writing the next series were limit it to five issues. Start it in medius ray. So it's it's not as much of an origin story. It just jumps right in. Uh, and you could fill the rest of it in through a little... Uh, you know, back backstory sequences as, as you go, limiting the scope of it. Uh, so Superbud is uh, inspired by like the NBC show Heroes in a way, uh, the storytelling anyway, where it's introducing a lot of characters and we slowly bring them all together. So by the end, their stories all coalesce. The next series was like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna focus on one person, which ended up being one team, but they act sort of as as one unit, hero versus villain. And that makes it just simpler storytelling. You've got an A story and a B story. You don't have to cut between all these 10 different characters we had introduced. So those are the takeaways that I had. Um, and that if you're starting out, I would I would suggest start on one hero, one villain, one conflict, and, and work your way from there. Yeah. Uh, as far as leaving it on a cliffhanger and them wanting more, that's a good thing. You know, you want them coming back for the next issue. It's just like, well, yeah, I liked it, but I want to know what happens next. It's like, yeah, that's why you buy the second issue. So there's just like, there's compressed storytelling and there's decompressed storytelling. I didn't find that reading the first issue, it was an issue for me. I'm like, this is just like decompressed storytelling. And, and like, I'm used to it. I've, I've read many a comic that way. So I didn't think anything of it. So when you leave it on the cliffhanger, like for me mentally, it's just like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. 
because you want your readers to come back. So, but it's good though that you're adding more incidents into the into the issues itself. And then it is always a good idea to leave a cliffhanger. So they're like, yeah, there was some cool shit that happened, but yeah, what else happens? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah what happens next, right? That's the that's what you always want people to say. All right. So you had a you said you had a second thing you wanted to talk about, right? Which was writer's block. So I'm guessing that you have some personal experience that you want to share along uh, along writer's block and punching through it. Yes. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's it's a pretty common thing that comes up. Uh, how do you work through writer's block? What What is writer's block and, and how do you get through it? Um, so Mike and I had, had a lot of writer's block coming off of Superbud. Um, you know, we, again, not to, to, to keep hitting this on the head there, but we didn't really understand the, the scope of how to make comics and breaking in as we were learning, as we were going was, was difficult. You know, making comics is, is a financial burden. Um, so we realized we were, we were not making the money back on it as we were putting out the money. So we had to kind of rethink our strategy a bit. And I think that affected how we were launching our next series. So we were right away, like, this is the most fun we've ever had writing. Um, we've been writing for, for years at that point. Uh, I think finding comics was really like the perfect medium for us. So we were really excited, but then go, okay, this financially isn't necessarily working out for us being the writers and, and hiring all these different artists. So working on our pitch for the next project, I think we were too much in the head, in our own heads in a way of what does the audience want? What does the person reading the pitch want? Um, so, you know, like Keith has a uh, great brigade that that was really made as a pitch. Uh, it's an ash can, but we were really just using it to pitch to other people to kind of get the idea out there and see if they were interested. For us, we were almost making it for the pitch versus actually making it for ourselves. So that was the biggest unlock for me. Um, and in that process of writing, uh, you know, at the end of 2020 and going into 2021, uh, I really unlocked how to write Grave Brigade by just focus on writing it for myself and writing it for my writing partner. As I was going, I would send him drafts and he would read it and he would get excited and he would he would add on to it and then send it back to me. And we were really just writing for each other. Finally, like that was our unlock. Our way of breaking through was we were not focused on any of the uh, external factors of how is this going to be received? Uh, who is this for making it for an ideal audience? It was making it for ourselves and making it exciting for us. Uh, so kind of hitting on all those touch points, uh, like, like Scott mentioned, Hellboy and uh, some of those older comics. And, um, you know, for me, I'm like, I, I love horror, but I'm, I'm not as familiar as with these uh, older horror comics. Uh, so like I was pulling on different influences and like one day Raiders of the Lost Ark was on and I was like, this is this is the, the pulpy feel that I want. Uh, so pulling in things that entertain myself personally. The idea is that if you make something that's personal that you enjoy, you're going to find other people out there that are going to enjoy the same kind of thing. When we first started writing, we were roommates. Mike and I lived in the same same place. Uh, so we were writing all the time. And then we start, uh, you know, going on as you get older, you move on to different things. So Mike lives in a different city than I do. Trying to write over Skype or Zoom or, um, you know, even on, on a phone or text. So that's a big difference for us. Uh, and for us at the time, it was always working on limited time. So okay, if this isn't working right away, let's jump into the next thing. So we've, we're burning time here. We've only got X amount of hours to, to write. If we're butting our heads against the wall on this project and it's not getting forward here, uh, let's move on to the next thing. While I love having a lot of projects lined up where we can kind of uh, go with what we're feeling in the moment, it can be a hindrance in a way when you have a certain amount of time and you're, you're spinning your wheels on one project and you move to the next and then you're spinning your wheels on that project, and then you move back. You're not really making any progress. So, uh, really, like buckling down and focusing on that one project at a time uh, made the biggest difference f- for me. Uh, so, those are the two kind of tricks that I've learned for for writer's block was really, you know, writing for yourself and really just focusing on one project at a time. When we had the opportunity to write multiple projects, whenever we hit anything that was hard or difficult, uh, instead of putting our heads together and figuring it out, we would go, okay, let's move on to the next thing. We'll come back to that. Uh, and then you're kind of always stuck in that that part, whatever was was holding you up. You're never moving forward. Yeah, that's I mean, and that's just a, not only is that a great tool to get out of writer's block, it's a great tool to make comics in general. And that's that's something we punched home here on the pod a lot is, you know, don't write for trends. Don't write for anyone else. Don't try to figure out what your audience want. What do you want? You know, and, and like you had said, if you like what you're doing, there's a good chance someone else out there might like what you're doing as well. Um, and I, you know what, I really like that idea that you created this ash can as a pitch. I do like that. And not, not because just for something you're trying to sell, but it's like, if you have a bunch of short story ideas 
and you want to get them all out there, why not do like a little ash can of it? And then that way you can put all these short stories, these ideas out and you can go, all right, the audience can decide what they actually like. And, and it's not that you're playing exactly to them what they want, but you did, you did a whole bunch of short stories that you wanted to do and they can go, this one's my favorite one. And then you can go, yeah, I think that one's my favorite one too. You know, you can kind of, you know, go like, oh man, that was the one I enjoyed the least working on. So, you, you know, you, at the end of the day, you make your own decision, but then you get to see where your audience goes, like what they actually like, you know, that, that you're putting out. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, I actually like that idea a lot because much like you guys, <clears throat> I also keep an idea journal. I actually have like a, I, I, I just bought it like a month and a half ago. It's like very arcane looking and uh, it looks like a Indiana Jones journal or something like that. So I just write down all my story ideas there, but it would be kind of fun to knock out like a six, eight page comic and just get that out there and then see what people say. This doesn't work all the time. Scott and I have something that we've talked about a lot um, off, off the air about what happens uh, if a creator ever gets famous for a thing that's not their, their baby, right? But if you have a lot of ideas you like and you're putting all those ideas out there, then once you get a lot of feedback on one of them, like let's just say, you know, idea C out of A, B, C, D, and E, that's the one that people like. What you're, what's going to happen naturally is you're going to like it more because then you're going to realize, oh, wow, they actually like this one. Huh, I wasn't sure, but blah, blah, blah. So in a lot of cases, that's going to perpetuate you wanting to work on it more um, as, as you go through it, you know? But yeah, man, I think that's, that's really cool. And I, I think that is a cool idea. All right, well, welcome then welcome to our glorious final part of bringing the bullshit. Uh, Tim, do you have any bullshit to bring? Well, I'll start by saying I'm glad that uh, the NBA season is over because I know nothing about basketball. So I have nothing <laughs> to add to that, that part of the conversation. I can talk beer. I can talk comics. I can talk Star Wars. But uh, uh, yeah, nothing yeah. really. You know, I, I uh, kind of like an ebb and flow with picking up comics. And I've kind of strayed away from the big two uh, for the last couple of years, uh, you know, not to knock those books, but, um, you know, I think when COVID hit, it wasn't going into the shop weekly, kind of changed my, my, my buying habits. Um, and every now and then I hop on eBay and I'll pick up some older books, nothing too expensive, but just something that uh, I think of and go, okay, that, that caught my eye. I'll, I'll get that. Or, uh, you know, just see if I can get a, a good deal on something. And since we were, we were talking about Grey Brigade earlier, I actually picked up a couple of these really old comics um so there's this one called combat kelly picked up a couple weird weird war stories it's funny to read those after i've already kind of been writing those but um i felt like it was a, a good opportunity to kind of see what were they doing then and uh, how much of it aligns with what we're doing and obviously like you know reading comics from the 60s or 70s storytelling has changed so so dramatically there's not as many of like the thought bubbles or like the internal monologues and that sort of thing but it's fun to to, to keep picking those up and it's great to look at for the covers and, and inspiration in a way for you know I, I have an idea to do like these pulpy kind of retro covers for a variant cover so things like that are, are a lot of fun uh, so i've been picking those up i picked up a couple other issues of of series that were out a few years ago that I just kind of stumbled on now. Um, so, you know, I like Donnie Cates a lot. So I picked up Crossover. Oh, yeah. I saw that I was crossover. a good price. Yeah. And I, I, had, I had missed it when it was out. So I got into to reading that. So I picked up uh, the first issue of that. I know you guys have talked about Jeff Lemire before. Uh, I just picked up Gideon Falls, or I guess a couple months ago. Started picking up the trades of that. Uh, the, the first issue is way too expensive for, for, for me right now. Uh, oh, but I've been picking really? up the yeah, I think it's like at least over a hundred dollars, maybe two hundred dollars oh, for that. Um, oh, I, I love nice. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I Ooh. I love all his other stuff like Black Hammer and uh, Sweet Tooth and those kind of things. Um, so I was like, oh, I never never picked this up. Uh, I was really into reading horror with you know working on Grey Brigade and. Um, you know, I got into something is killing the children a few years ago, uh, so kind of in that horror mood. So I got into that, and it's it's really awesome. So uh, picking up the one that just came out. Um, it's shit. Who does the it? closet? The closet is that a uh, Joe Hill? Who's it? Wait, it's, who's that? You, you're talking about it's Tinian again. Tinian, yeah, yeah, yeah James Tinian. Uh, check that one out if you haven't. I, yeah, I haven't. I I, I read okay. about it, um, but I haven't haven't gotten to read it yet. Was yeah, it's over there. Wait, you read it. Yeah, and I I mean speak. I mean you know Tinian was my favorite writer or comic writer of 2021 with all the stuff and there's still good stuff out there so yeah, absolutely i i would like to bring one non-comic thing of bullshit we are recording this on a wednesday i gotta say 
I'm thumbing through Instagram this morning at eight o'clock. Okay. Maybe, maybe even seven o'clock Pacific time. Some motherfucker posts a text on their Instagram that gives away some shit about Obi-Wan. It's not a huge reveal, but it is a reveal. And I have not watched the goddamn episode and I hope people out there are drinking because you should right now. <laughs> now I know that one thing is happening and it's like, are you, are you a moron? You know, like, I don't know. There, there's a special, there's a special circle of hell reserved for you. <laughs> I feel yeah, like we were I, all under a, uh, like an understanding of, all right, spoilers, you get X amount of time and that window has shortened and shortened with everything that comes out. It doesn't it's exist so crazy. Now. Yeah, there was um, I mentioned this on the air before I know a guy, I knew a guy. I, I don't see him around anymore. When um, shoot, when the Mandalorian was coming out, it, like the episode had just dropped and he had drawn Boba Fett, like the actor that plays Boba Fett. And it, I was and like he didn't write anything. He wrote zero things. He just drew the picture and he posted it up. But like if you saw any of his previous posts, he was obsessed with the Mandalorian so he draws Boba Fett, and I go, dude, this isn't fucking cool. I was yeah. like, the episode just came out. And he goes, what? I didn't say anything. And I'm like, yeah, but you drew it. I was like, what? You said it's, enough with that. The, you spoil. This is a huge spoiler. He goes, I didn't say anything, though. I'm like, that guy's face is the spoiler. You understand that, right? And he goes, well, it, it's already out there. If you look it up and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't look up shit. You know, like, right. like this is this is pretty fucked up. <laughs> Right. So, what I what I what I don't look up things. And also what I don't ex- because I don't look up things. What I expect is some asshole to not swashbuckling pirate through my plate glass window of my social media and ruin shit for me. Right. <laughs> you know, yep. and again, like there is some debate on st- like, I don't know. I-, I think informally, most people think a, li- a reasonable non-spoiler time for a movie might be two weeks three weeks or so right for a tv show that's weekly maybe a week maybe three days or something like that but i don't know what world the morning of something coming out oh my god it just yeah i've had a couple artist friends do that they're just they get too hyped about the shows that they like and they just got to put it out there and it's just like but you don't you can calm the fuck down you can fucking wait you can be a good human being and let other people watch it first before you ruin it for them, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. To go back on the comic comic front of this, so I have a nice old comic that I recently discovered, and I got it on eBay, so I'm I'm feeling okay to share it with you guys. Um, are either one of you fans of Art Adams? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I'm a huge fan of Art Adams. He is my first comic artist love. Like, he is the first guy that I was like, who draws this? This is this is the best guy. Whoever draws this, he should draw all the stuff, right? So um, I came across Action Comics Annual Number 1, 1987, drawn by Art Adams. So he draws Batman and Superman. This is a rare occurrence. It's not a rare book. You can find this book very cheap. I got it for $1.50 um, on eBay. So you can find this book, Action Comics Annual Number 1, 1987. And uh, yeah, Art Adams draws Superman and Batman. Like, how fucking awesome is that? So That's awesome. Uh, you guys should look that up and uh, grab it while you can. So you have the making comics effect here. So people will <laughs> be scooping that up by the hundreds. Um, and then so I, what I like, also like to do when I'm buying off of someone on eBay, I like to check their, their, um, their store to see what other books they're selling. And they had a Gen 13 uh, Monkey Man, Monkey Man and O'Brien. And that's also drawn by Art Adams. Got it for a buck fifty. I was like, "Fuck it, yeah, send them both." So got a couple of nice books by Art Adams on the cheap, and I'm looking forward to reading those. So um, yeah, not too shabby. Nice, nice. Yeah, my Thor three thirty seven and three thirty nine came in just today. Um, they're nice. They're a little, little yellow, <laughs> but uh, eh, whatever. But, but I also have them, you know. And whenever you get into these older collectible comics it does really become about your personal preference you know for me to pay for a clean minty white one i would have had to pay four times 
what I paid. And it's like, I'm not in the mood for that. You know, I, right. I'm happy I have it. It's fine. It's in my collection. And, uh, and now we can, we can move on. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. And I, actually I love those, I love the ones where you finally got to take it off your list. I have one more and it is, I don't think I mentioned it the last episode, but it is Batman 358. It is the first appearance of killer croc. And, uh, normally you can get that for about 25 bucks. You know, it's not unreasonable. DC first appearances, way cheaper than Marvel first appearances. But I managed to snag this on auction for twelve fifty. So awesome. I feel like a fucking champion. Um, I was taking a bunch of L's. I've taken a bunch of L's since then. But I got a couple of nice wins with these $1.50 books and then the twelve fifty for Killer Croc's first appearance. And that has been on my want list or my watch list on eBay for, I want to say, five years. All it took was for me to say there are no values in comics anymore, Scott. And then the world <laughs> turned around. Yeah, just... they're like... Keith, what the fuck are you talking about? Keith, you're t- and and the I'm very next podcast, you. you guys were talking about all the comics you were picking up. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was funny when he made that declaration. It was at Phoenix Fan Fusion. And then I walked out and I found a run of uh, uh, Simonson Thor for a dollar a piece. And I was just like, how do you, you pass that? About? I was like, I just got these. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have been more specific about what I was trying to say, you know, but uh, but honestly, I just I sometimes i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about so hey you spoke it to an existence but the opposite you know yeah, what i mean totally that's you fine spoke it got, into I, opposite existence i, I got it. a lot of killer uh, deals out of it too i did want to mention scott i think you read this book you read catwoman lonely city right i have the first one i, I need to grab the other ones it's uh, so i am three I, it, it's i think it's only going to be four things it is awesome in my estimation awesome it is. It's one of those oversized DC. What do they call them? Black label. Black label. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's one of my favorite books. It, it is. It's very Dark Knight Returnsy. It's set in in like okay. a, a, a far future. Uh, maybe not far future, but sort of Dark Knight Returnsy. Right. It's set in okay. the future, and it has a lot of cool stuff going on. So I am a huge fan of this book. I would not be surprised if this book. Um, becomes the kind of thing that people talk about, you know, five, 10 years from now, just because of how interesting it is. It's, it's really good. That's great. Keith, I'm who's that behind that one? To get the rest. Uh, Cliff Chang. Cliff, Cliff Chang, Chang. Uh, writes and draws it. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Super strong. And, and I, I think it's pretty available now. Um, so yeah, man, if that's the kind of thing that interests you, Tim, I, I say go grab it now before it starts to kind of disappear. Um, yeah, man. Huge, huge fan of that. I have some other ones I've read that I do not like, but I'm not, we don't name, we don't name the books <laughs> on the podcast. We not don't on the them. podcast. Definitely not on after. the podcast. <laughs> afterwards. afterwards. Um, but, and, and here's the thing too, Tim, but like you, you don't need to talk basketball, but you're going to have to listen to it at some point because now that I'll the drink finals, yeah, yeah. Not the, now that the finals are over, we get into what is almost my favorite time of the year, starting in about a week, which is summer league. I'm a summer league junkie. And that is just like the minor leagues of basketball. So I don't know. I don't think I'll end up talking about it because I just can't see Scott and I waxing poetic about, you know, the person who might make an NBA team. But uh, you never yeah. know. We might. Yeah. My my love interest in summer league has dissipated ever since the Lakers stopped having draft picks. You know, yeah, there was yeah. like a four to five year run where the Lakers stunk every year. And I was just like, okay, who, who are we getting, you know? And so we'd get to see our shiny new toy play in the summer league. And, you know, I would get excited about it. Like if they did something good, I was like, Oh, did you see that? Oh, that's always oh, some potential right there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, but no, we have no draft picks. So I don't, no, you don't, I don't think yeah, you have any draft picks for the next decade or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Pretty great. pretty great. With that, I guess I will, we'll start to bring this together. So you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore invader. That is Keith doing things taking photos of books, throwing quotes up, and of course the comics I do. And then uh, if you just like giant monsters, that's all you want to deal with, then you can follow me also at Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word. And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. And you can find me at Tim Rad Writes at uh, Instagram. Uh, and if you're interested in Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, uh, you can also get us at Superbud Comic. And then in terms of websites, I have everything at KeithRFoster.com. I am going to put up some pre-orders, hopefully by the time this comes out for Kadoja and also Kadoja Symphony of Madness, which 
you know, the Kickstarter books will be going out, but people can still pre-order it on the site. I'll get that set up and some other things and blog posts and all kinds of goodness on that site as well. KeithRFoster.com. Uh, you can go to accidentalaliens.com if you're looking for my book, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Milisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets and come across the planet Milisanda, where the meteor never hit and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. Keith, does that ever work out with two dominant species trying to coexist? It never works. It never works. So um, you can find out at accidentalaliens.com. Pick up your copies and uh, I'll get those shipped over to you. And you can read it and you could be like, it really doesn't work. Holy shit, they were both right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and you could uh, find uh, issue one of Superbud for free at our website, superbudcomic.com. I've run out of things to say about algorithms. But what I haven't run out of ways to say is that you should give Making Comics Podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. It really does help. We are we are not blowing smoke. We can tell the difference when we get one review, even if it's just stars, but words uh, help even more and we love to read them. So if you've already done that, thank you. And if not, please take a minute or two and uh, and throw some nice words and some, some big stars at us. Yeah, um, our love language is words of affirmation on Apple Podcasts. So <laughs> show us some love. Um, and if you want to talk to us and tell us how much you love us in the podcast, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and uh, leave us an email there. Tell us all those good things. And uh, if you have anything that you want us to talk about we haven't talked about or talked about a little bit, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, man. Uh, all right. Well, Tim, thanks for joining us, man. It was great having you. Yeah, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me on. I love the show. I listen uh, all the time. Uh, it's made my commute a lot easier and uh, a lot uh, better to listen to the show. And I uh, appreciate what you guys do because uh, there's a lot of really great uh, useful information out there for everybody to learn from. So I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Now you're going to have a meta moment where you're listening in the car. You're like, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, it's me. This is going to be the one episode I don't listen to, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be like, hey, I'm giving myself some really great information right now. <laughs> Should have listened to that guy. Scott, I'll see you next week, brother. Yeah, yeah.